We're going to read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. This is what Jesus writes. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Hear that? Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Um, I don't know how many years ago this was. Uh, it might have been maybe 10. Uh, but I was going to this prayer meeting on Sunday evenings uh, at this church. And uh, it was really um, pretty, pretty low-key. You know, there might have been 20 people in the room. And we'd gather on Sunday evenings and we'd pray. And we'd have some worship music. And then we'd pray some more. And... And toward the end of it, we always had a space where if you wanted prayer, you could receive prayer. And we had this friend who had brought somebody with her who was from Canada and uh, was from French Canada. And um, so she spoke French mostly and a little bit of English. And she was there to, to pray with us and was a follower of Jesus and all these type of things. And so at the end, we were like, hey, if you'd like prayer, we would love to pray. And so she said, I'd like prayer. And so we said, well, what would you like prayer for? And um, she was unsure. She just kind of all of a sudden, like, was unable to speak. And so, you know, kind of awkward, like, well, do, do you want prayer for this? And no. And so we just kept asking, her, well, what would you like prayer for? 
And finally, after a really long, drawn-out, like, awkward um, 100 hours, but it was probably like two minutes, um, she finally just said, I'm just confused. And so, okay, so we start praying and praying and praying. And as we were praying, um, she got more and more confused. And just for a parenthetical pause, I have to let you know that I don't, I know I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. All right? Like, I I do believe in things that I think some people might think are crazy, but I don't think I'm crazy. Okay? Anybody else feel similar? (laughs) Okay. Like, I'm, I am by nature oftentimes skeptical of some of the crazy things that I hear in church world. And so what I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you it's what I saw and it's what happened I might be crazy. Parenthetical pause off. So we're praying and praying and praying and praying, and it's like not nothing's happening, and she's getting more and more confused. And I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, um, it's like the, I noticed the room was getting more and more dim, and no one was playing with the dimmer. We didn't have a dimmer switch in that room. I'm like, okay, and. As we were praying, it, it got more and more, like, weird. And so finally, um, you know, we're just kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And I, I just had, like, this discernment that there was some type of spiritual battle going on in that moment. And so I'm like, all right, this is this person I know and I've talked to, and they're very articulate. And all of a sudden, they're unable to communicate at all. The room got really super dim and dark, and we're trying to pray for this person. Maybe there's something going on that we are unaware of in the natural realm. So then I started just praying internally, and I was praying for God to to give some kind of indication of what's going on. And and I had this sense that she she needed to just call out to the Lord and say the name of Jesus Um, and to ask Jesus for freedom. And so I'm waiting, and finally I said to her, I said, hey, I just feel like like the Lord has just kind of said and and wants you to to call out to him. And as soon as you say the name Jesus, I think think things are going to click together. And so everybody, you know, I mean, if you're in a prayer meeting and somebody says, pray to Jesus, everybody's like, yeah, that sounds good, right? I mean, like everybody's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's it, you know? And so she says, you know, she nods her head, and then she starts to try to say the word Jesus, and it will not come out of the mouth. She's like, and I was just like, this is super. Now I'm adding things up. I'm like, okay, she can't communicate. Got really dark in the room. And now she can't even say the name Jesus. So we're praying and praying and praying and praying. And, I mean, I'm not kidding. It was like an hour and a half of prayer. And I don't know about you, but, like, I, I'll start a prayer session sometimes. And I'm like, I'm going to pray, like, everything I could think of. And I'll spend, like, I'm going to dedicate the next three hours. And I pray everything I could ever imagine. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that must be, like, ten hours. And it's, like, been, like, three minutes. Okay? Like, I'm telling you, an hour and a half, it was, like, the longest. It was so long. It felt like forever. And we just kept praying and praying. And finally, she just kept trying to say, and then we kept praying and interceding and praying against the enemy and praying for freedom and praying every Pentecostal prayer I've ever been around. And then finally she says, Jesus! 
And it was like in the room instantaneously, the light came back on. She starts weeping and crying. And then she tells us that she had, like over the course of the last year or so, had gotten to this place of depression and, and was unable to even see Jesus' love anymore. And it was this really profound experience because I, I remember like, like, oh my gosh, what just happened? How do I explain that? Wait, I can't explain that. There's something spiritual going on that I don't completely understand, but Jesus brought freedom to this woman. And so later on, I think it was a couple days later, I was talking to her and I found out over time that she had been struggling with some mental illness for a while and had, um, I think, you know, some spiritual warfare going on. And, and I wanted to say right now, because I'm going to talk a little bit about mental illness and emotional health and physical healing and spiritual healing and, and spiritual warfare, but I wanted to say that I think it's irresponsible if you leave this, this building and, and you walk away thinking that all mental illness or all emotional dysfunction or unhealth or physical sickness, if you walk away thinking that that is just evidence that you have a demon in you, then we've not communicated well. Like, I think that's irresponsible. Amen? Like, I think that they can be. I, I think it's very true that those can be evidences of, of spiritual warfare, but it's not always. Like, I, I just want to tell you, I think sometimes people just need to, like, get some medication. And that really will help. And it's not a bad thing. And then sometimes people need prayer. And some people need to be delivered. And, I mean, it's really a complex subject. And so that's why I want us all to, to understand what I am saying and what I'm not saying. Because if you happen to struggle with mental illness or if you have, you know, emotion, if your emotions are all over the map, first of all, I want to say welcome to 2020. If your emotions are all over the map. It's 2021 now. But, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons for these. And so I, I just want us to be aware of, of the complexity of this subject. But for a moment, let's just consider what what um, maybe the Lord might want for us to, to dive into a bit, okay? You know, because I've been thinking a little bit about, about those cases where there is clearly some form of spiritual warfare going on. Um, with this woman, it was so obviously spiritual warfare, and I mean, like a reasonable person who knows anything about the New Testament and knows anything about prayer and deliverance and and prophetic ministry and any of that stuff would say, look, at the evidence is overwhelming that this person was suffering from some type of spiritual warfare, and the fact that electrical currents were responding to whatever was going on in the room with nobody dimming anything down, to me, it would be reasonable to say there was something spiritual going on in the room. Does that make sense? Like, it just, there was no other reasonable explanation that I could discern, and so I think that there was evidence that something was going on from the enemy. And perhaps one of the most influential ideas that has shaped my worldview and the way I look at the, the world around us is to understand that we are, in a, we are in a warfare. There is spiritual warfare that is taking place. There is a clash of kingdoms that's happening even right now in this room. You know, Jesus um, delivers us. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1. He says that when we are, are become followers of Jesus, when we respond to grace, when we receive the gospel for what it is, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, the Son. And we see all over the gospels, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, have you ever noticed that Jesus 
is in particular doing two things. He's healing people and he's casting out demons. Have you noticed that? So everywhere he goes, he's, he's engaged in spiritual warfare. And so I, just for me, that's the, the worldview that I operate from is I operate from the worldview that there are spiritual forces at work and things are happening that we might not see. So I wonder if it would be helpful for us to consider the fact that there is a battle going on for our hearts and our minds and our actions. I think there is. I think that there is. I think that there's overwhelming biblical evidence. And then anecdotally, I think we all could sit here and tell stories about how we've had experiences that we maybe don't quite understand, but something was happening. There was something happening. And so I think there is a battle. And I know that our culture right now, the culture around us, has an aversion to this in many ways, especially when it comes from a Christian worldview. Um, but, I mean, I just, I just can't get around it. And so I think it's also a teaching that's rooted all over the New Testament. So it would seem to me that the devil's playground is at times our hearts, our minds, and our lives, I, 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 and our actions. I, and, I, and again, I'm nuancing this to say that not all mental, emotional, physical um, sickness, all that stuff is a direct result of someone being a sinner or, you know, you have a, de- a demon in you. Okay, can you just all say amen? I need you to understand that. You, like, if you're like one of those people who's like, I didn't really struggle with, with emotional, emotional challenges last year. I have struggled with depression my whole life. You do not need to leave this building and say, well, Pastor Luke said I have a demon. Okay? Like, I don't know. I just feel like this is important. And, and I'm being, I'm kind of being silly because I know that that is what people have, have said before. And I think it's irresponsible. And I think it's not a very holistic biblical theology, too. So I want us to say it is potentially a, a, a reason or a issue we have to deal with, but it's not all of so not always. So that's why I think we need to we need to have a robust theology of this. But let's talk about why this matters for a few minutes here. Let me let me share with you a, a few trends that are happening right now in America. One in five American adults experience mental illness each year. Okay, I don't know about you, but that tells me that it's far more common than we may think. Another statistic is that 50% of all lifetime ongoing mental illnesses begin by age 14, and 75% of them are by the age of 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. It's highest in the U.S. in comparison to similar nations. And then mental illness significantly impacts, and by impacts I mean I think brings about and causes substance abuse, unemployment rates, etc. There is a lot of things going on um, around mental illness, and I know mental illness and emotional health are not directly tied together, but they are in the same world. I know many people that would, would, would identify with both of those things. So, so here's what I want to pose for us this morning. What does this mean? Like, if these trends are true, if there is far more mental illness and emotional unrest and and emotional challenges, and also we didn't even talk about physical sickness that is is happening more and more in our country compared to other countries, If, if all these things are true, what does it mean for those of us who follow Jesus, who said that he came to give people a rich and satisfying life? What does that mean for us? Let's pray. Father, 
Um, as we spend a, a little bit of time thinking about the implications of John 10 and the teachings of Jesus as our good shepherd who invites us to the good pasture, would you, Lord, um, speak to us and encourage us and challenge us and convict us and ground us in the truth of the kingdom? Would you grant freedom where people are captive to spiritual forces or, or ideas that are, that are contradictory to the truths of who you are and who you've created us to be? And we pray for your presence and your power to be on display this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. So the Good Shepherd, think about the leadership characteristics that are celebrated in our country for just a minute. Like when you think about how politicians are celebrated or world leaders are celebrated or just in the corporate world, would you not agree with me that oftentimes the things that get celebrated are power and authority and influence and strength? Isn't that right? Like, I, it's funny. I have this book about Jesus as a leader in comparison to like corporate America leaders. And it is hilarious because it's like, here's how the world does it, and then here's how Jesus does it. And it just stands out so clearly that the way that Jesus leads is so countercultural to the world that we live in. Are you with me? I mean, have you noticed that? It's like the world is all about collecting as much power and authority as it can. The world leaders are all about that, generally speaking. And Jesus comes and he humbles himself, and he's born into a stable, and he's born in ancient Israel where they have no electricity. And I've said this before, but if you were God and you had a choice of when to be born, would you really be born in a time when there's no air conditioning? Like, you wouldn't, right? I mean, it makes no sense. And yet Jesus humbles himself and is born and, and enters into ancient Israel and, and lives as a human being amongst an oppressed and overlooked um, marginalized people, the people of Israel and the Roman Empire. And so we have this really interesting thing uh, going on, I think, here, is, is we, we see Jesus talking about the Good Shepherd, and, it, and, it, and it, for me, it really draws out attention to his leadership by speaking about what he is about, and he is, as a shepherd, he's about care and compassion. And, and John 10, what's interesting here, is um, all of those who were listening to Jesus' teaching primarily were Jewish people, and so when they hear Jesus' teaching, they're all people who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, and not just familiar, they regularly were engaging in reading the Hebrew Bible, and so they hear Jesus talking about the Good Shepherd and the, and the characteristics of the Good Shepherd, and every single one of those people would have also heard in Jesus' teaching an allusion to Ezekiel 34, where the prophet Ezekiel is chastising the prophets and the, 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 the priests and the, the religious leaders of ancient Israel because they were bad shepherds. They weren't shepherding the flock of Israel very well. And so there's no doubt in my mind that everybody who is listening to Jesus' teaching here would have drawn a comparison to the leaders of the world to the way that Jesus leads as the good shepherd. In fact, the good shepherd here, I mean, this is just a couple things here. He wants to give his sheep abundant life. Uh, John 10, 10, a lot of translations. You know, our reading today, a New Living Translation says he came to give rich and satisfying life. 
But if you grew up reading like the King James or the NIV or other translations, you know that Jesus came to give abundant life. He came to give life in abundance. The, the, the devil, the, the minions of the devil have come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give abundant life. So as a good shepherd, he comes to give us abundant life. And if we are honest, we have to realize that the common lived experience for human beings is that we have to go through a season of life thinking that our ways are better than God's ways, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like I remember when I, I grew up in you know church world. My parents were followers of Jesus, and I, 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 was, I went to a Christian school all growing up, and so my Christian school required that I had to memorize all these Bible verses and and I remember as a kid, this is so funny, but every morning I had this journal, it was a prayer journal. And in order to promote my prayer life, our school required that I pray every day for 15 minutes. And so my mom would, would wake me up at 6 o'clock and, you know, get your you know, prayer journal on. And I'd be like, with my Bible, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm just totally getting to it. And then I'd, I'd go right back to sleep with <laughs> my head in my Bible. And then she'd come in and I was like, I'm praying you know, and and so I, I mean I learned a lot about Jesus, and I know I knew I had hundreds of Bible verses memorized, and now I'm very grateful for that. I'm not at all throwing shade on that. I just am saying that as a young person, I knew all these things, but I went through a period of time where I was like, ah, I'm gonna go check things out a little bit over there, and I don't know those traditional ways of living that my mom and dad talk about, and all those things I learned about in church. I don't know. And I'm just telling you right now, my experience and the experience of many other people, what we find is that our ways are not better than God's ways. And we find out through experience and through the negativity that goes about with some of that stuff and the consequences of those decisions is that Jesus' way of, of, of living actually helps us and is better for us. And it has to do with the whole idea of abundant life because I really feel like a lot of people in church, church world, you know, you guys all can't, not you, maybe, it's other people's churches, not us. Okay, it's us. But, like, you know, we come and we're like, oh, man, I love the music. I just love the presence of God. So good. And, oh, I just want abundant life. You know? Well, guess what? Abundant life comes through obedience to Jesus and his kingdom. That is the truth, is that you want to experience abundant, abundant life. I'm just telling you. Enter into the ways of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Prioritize the way of, of living in the same way that Jesus prioritizes his life, which I think, you know, one of the best places to find that is in Matthew 5-7 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, this is the stuff that the Good Shepherd is about. So he wants to give his sheep abundant life. And we have to buy into that, that his rich and satisfying life is only experienced to the measure by which we are obedient to the ways of the kingdom. Another thing we see about the good shepherd is that he sacrifices his life for his sheep. I mean, I, I, this week I've been just chewing on John, uh, John 10. And, and it's interesting because in my, in my paper Bible, I, I've been working through all of the, the, the words around the idea of, of shepherd and, 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 and sheep. And it's interesting because 
Poimion and poimeno, which are the Greek words that have to do with shepherding or being shepherd or sheepfold, they, it's all over that. And so Jesus is wanting us to understand that he is the good shepherd. He has come to speak, and we are supposed to follow him. And he leads as one who sacrificially gives up his life voluntarily. And it's really interesting about sheep. I don't know. Has anybody ever worked with sheep? No one has? Okay. When I was in high school, we had some friends that had a bunch of sheep. And so they were like, hey, you're 16. You want a job? And when you're 16, you're like, yes, I will do anything for money. And so they're like, all right, come over here. We're going to shear these sheep. And, uh, and, and then, you know, we'll pay you for helping us wrangle this up. So I'm like, all right. And they, I didn't know this was a setup, but I'm like, they're like, all right, go get them. And so I go out there and there's like a hundred sheep. And I seriously spent like 45 minutes chasing these things all over, falling mud everywhere. It w- I was like, I hate sheep. And it can't, it like dawned on me. I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus called us sheep. He thinks we're stupid. I was like, we are dumb. We, I hit like, it all came together. And I'm not kidding. The owner of these sheep, after I was chasing them and trying to wrangle them in and get them in there, he, he literally walked out and he just called them and the sheep came to him. And I was like, that's amazing. And this is what John 10 is saying, right? He's saying the shepherd, the good shepherd, when he speaks, the sheep recognize his voice. They know his voice and they follow after him. And I've seen it with my own eyes. Sheep are dumb. We are dumb. It's true. But if you are following Jesus and you're entering into the ways of the kingdom and you're regularly spending time in scripture and prayer, you recognize the voice of God when he begins to speak to you. Amen? That's what happens. And so I think that's the thing about his, his nature is that he sacrifices his life for his sheep. And his, his sheep are both known by him and know him intimately. In fact, Jesus says this here. He says that my sheep know me as I know the Father. And so in the same level of intimacy that exists between God the Father and God the Son, we're invited into that same level of relationship. And then finally, another attribute of the Good Shepherd is he wants to expand the sheepfold. Listen listen to me here. This is what we have to buy into. We, we have to understand is that Jesus says in John 10, 16, he says, I have other sheep too. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. And what he's talking about in the context is he's saying, in this sheepfold of Israel, I have other sheep outside of it. And he's talking about those of us who are Gentiles, who are not Jewish people. He's saying, I have other sheep that are not a part of this sheepfold of Israel. He says, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And that's why we see in Ephesians 2 and 3, Jesus has come to break down the middle wall of separation between Gentile and Jew, and that we're all supposed to be a part of this flock. He wants to expand the sheepfold. Therefore, I would, I would venture to guess that if Jesus wants to expand his sheepfold, we should join Jesus' mission and have a desire and a goal for other people to experience abundant life. Amen? Like that should be a thing that we're about. So the Good Shepherd talks a lot about the good pastures, though. I love this. Jesus says in, in verse 9, he says, that the devil and his minions have come to kill, steal, and destroy, but that Jesus came to give his followers a rich and satisfying life. He came to lead his people to good pastures. Now, I, I think it's interesting about good pastures. I've been just marinating on this text and thinking about good pastures. And, uh, 
and I think oftentimes when we think about good pastures, at least, you know, most of us who grew up in church maybe, it's like we think about good pastures in the sense of like, yeah, Jesus wants you to experience good pastures in heaven. Like, how many of you want people to go, actually, how many of you want to go to heaven? Just, if you don't raise your hand right now, we will pray for you later. Like, like we want to go to heaven, you know, and, and I think we all want the people we love for sure to go to heaven. And the people we don't love, we're working on it. Right? I mean, like, the whole vision of, of heaven is like this future thing. And so when we begin to wrestle with this idea of Jesus, the good shepherd, leading people to the good pastures, I think we default to this idea of, like, it's all about getting people to go to heaven in the future. But what if I were to tell you that if you actually look at the New Testament, you're going to see that nowhere in the New Testament does it teach us that we're all going to go to heaven, live on clouds, have halos, and play hearts. What if we actually are invited to experience good pastors not only in the future, but in the now? What if salvation is an invitation to join Jesus' kingdom and to experience the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit now and to experience freedom now and not just for a future thing? If that's true, then as we join Jesus, the good shepherd, to experience the good pastures and to invite other people into the good pastures, then that means that we're actually wanting people to be able to experience that not only in the future, but in the now. And so I've been thinking a lot about this, this whole thing about good pastures and how it, it's not just about the future, but about our lived experience now. And so here's what I want to say um, about this idea. It is, I think there is a way of living that draws upon deep wells that have come from the kingdom that sustains us and empowers us to experience wholeness and restoration and healing now, even if it's not complete wholeness, healing, and restoration now. And, and I, I'll never forget that the like, second or third time I go to Kenya, we, we were traveling all over Kenya doing these big meetings in different villages and cities. And I shared before that we did one crusade with 30,000 people in this in the slum, and we got to share the gospel with literally thousands of people. We went to other villages of a couple hundred. We we're just going all over, and as we were driving from a village to the to the capital of Nairobi, which has millions of people, we got a phone call. The person we were driving with got a phone call saying, hey, there's a group of followers of Jesus that would like to meet with you that are in a refugee camp. Would you like to meet with them? And so our, the person driving us said, absolutely. I'd, we'd love to go encourage them. So we go, and we drive into this camp, we get ushered in, we were able to like go into this area, and we walk into this small um, building, and by building I mean it was like 12 by 12 maybe, and it was just steel sides, steel roof, and there were blankets all over the floor, and there was about 15 people living in there, which I was like, so it is possible. We can get a smaller house. This is, this is doable. And I mean, on, truth be told, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I was trying to imagine, you know, like how this was possible. And, and so what it was, is a group of Somali Christians who had left Somalia and had moved to Kenya and were in a refugee camp at that time. And so there were two people in particular that were responsible for this group of Somalians who had moved um, from Somalia to Kenya because 
where they lived in Somalia, it was 110% Muslim. There were no Christians, and if you were a Christian, you, it was going to be very, very bad for you. And these two particular young men, I'm going to guess they were 20, maybe 22 years old, they, they stood up, and, and they were so humbled that we had come to their meeting to meet with them. And, and I'll tell you the truth is that we were so humbled to hear their stories because these two men had led all of these people to Christ in a Muslim-majority city, and because of that, had been stoned and had been beaten and had been treated inhumanely in so many ways. Their body, their bodies bore the marks of persecution in a way that we do not even fathom. And I remember being so overwhelmed with emotion because they were like, you know, oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming. And I, and I remember, um, you know, the person we're with asking them, like, you know, so how have you been able to, like, make it? And then the, the one man, his name was, um, was Stephen, taken from Acts, stood up and said, you know what, we are, we are so honored to be counted worthy of the gospel. We are counted, we are, we just counted such a privilege to be able to be treated this way for the name of Christ and to do these things in order people would come to know Jesus. And I just remember, like, getting in the van and driving off and mentally being unable to connect the dots. Like, how could they go through such tremendous persecution and yet be joyful and yet be able to just say, you know, we are we're thankful for this. Let me tell you why. Because they had come to a place of experiencing abundant life and life everlasting and joy and all of those things that are connected to this life that Jesus is inviting us to is beautiful because it brings wholeness to us, it brings healing to us, it brings restoration to us, even though we might not fully experience that in this life now, but we have the hope that one day everything is going to be made right that is broken in this world. And it's true and it's real and we want it and we need it. And so this is what we're going to do for this season. And I, and I more than anything, I, I know that this is what the Lord has invited us to press into as a church community, is we're going to be doing a sermon series for, from now until the end of summer, more than likely, called Restored. And we're going to be talking about the gospel of wholeness and healing. And, and I shared a couple weeks ago that I feel like um, emotional, mental health is, is something we really need to take seriously as a church. We do. It's, it's, it's not enough to just say, I hope you start praying more. Hasn't helped me, at least. It's like, I'm, I'm doing that. It's not working. There's tools and resources that I think can help us become mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually more whole and experience more healing. And so um, I, we're going to be doing that because I, I just had this, this awareness in the last couple of months that God wants to heal us. Amen? God wants to heal us. But he wants to heal us from the inside out. He wants to heal us from the inside out. Our mental and emotional health matters. And so we're going to be talking about things that the, the scriptures teach and resources that will help us not only experience that for ourselves, but help, have other people experience it too. Because I'm convinced that God cares deeply about our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual healing. I, I just believe it. I think he cares about our needs. In fact, when you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, he's constantly inviting people to experience wholeness in every area of his life because he was a holistic leader. And so we're going to be talking about those things. Let's stand up together.
I've gone a little bit longer than normal, and I was talking to a person last, maybe two weeks ago, and she said, I really like our church because we always end on time. And I, <laughs> I was like, joke's on you. So I'm going to invite the music team up. And let's just, I don't know, let's just see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Is that cool? All right. And if you had said no, it would be awkward. <clears throat> Yeah, and so if, if it helps you to close your eyes, um, feel free to do that. But let's just posture our hearts right now, our, our souls before the Lord, and invite Him to do what He wants to do, to speak to us, what He wants to speak, just for a moment here. And then we're going we're gonna to end by singing goodness of God again, just as a reminder that we are being invited to be restored by the gospel of wholeness and healing, um, in a way that, that is sustainable and will help us live our lives in, in a, not only a way that's pleasing to God, but in a way that helps other people experience that too. And so we do pray, Holy Spirit, for you to come right now. We pray for your presence and your power, not because we don't think you've been here, but because we know you've been here. And we want more. thing that I, I think the Lord wants to maybe do some prayer into, and um, I just had this um, earlier when we were singing um, Wes and Shannon, um, I don't know, where is, I can't remember her name right now, the person who sits over there with you, yeah, where is she at? Oh, she did, okay. And what's her name? Amber. Okay, I had this picture. So this is going to be for Amber. I don't know if she can hear right now. And we'll pray for her in a moment. But I, I, I felt like this is for more than just Amber. But um, <clears throat> I felt like there's a few of you in this room who you feel very, um, like, the, the, the sense I had is that God wanted you to know that he does see you. And I kept um, hearing that scripture over and over again. Jesus says these words. He says, um, He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. And this is tremendous, that, that, God, that God would know, the same way that God the Father knows Jesus the Son, which is the most intimate relationship we can imagine, what 
Jesus says, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me. And so it's an invitation to a level of being known and knowing that is unfathomable. And so I, I definitely felt like Amber, is that, am I totally wrong? Yeah. I, I totally felt like that was true of her. Like God just wanted her to know that, that she was seen. But I feel like there might be a few of you right now that you've been really struggling with being known. Like you just feel like you're passed over and, and every, every day you're like, oh, does God even know I exist or know that I'm, I'm going through what I'm going through? And I just really felt like the Lord wanted you to know this morning that he sees you, he loves you, and he is not just wanting to be like this distant God that wants to be intimately known by you and for you and, and know you and let you know that you are known. So with everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed, I don't want anybody to feel like there's any pressure whatsoever, but if that describes you, if that describes you, if you at all are here and you're saying, I just don't, I feel like I'm overlooked all the time and I don't even know if God knows I exist, we want to pray for you. And I, I think this is a path toward restoration, fullness, and healing. And so with everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed, if that's you, if you would say, yes, that's, that's totally me to the teeth. Would you just lift your hand up right now, just so we can see if this is something you're feeling and you're sensing? Because we want to pray for you. We're praying for you, too. So if you are comfortable, if you're not, it's totally okay. We're going to do a general prayer. But I would love to invite you, if you have raised your hand and you feel comfortable, would you make your way to the front so we can pray for you? Sure, but you know, we want to definitely have a space for for us to be able to pray for one another. <clears throat> and then, um, if you are out there and you're part of our team, or you've been a part of the core group, or you know how to pray, and you feel comfortable with coming forward and praying for somebody, um, feel free to do that right now. I'm going to pray too. And then, Don, would you just pray for anybody that felt that way? And then we're going to go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we, we thank you for this message, Lord. We pray that the stories would click and that we'd share today and that we would just be able to really come and be in our times of need, Lord, that we would say we need Jesus, we need you, we love you. We surrender everything to you, Lord. What we have is yours. And I just pray for individual's emotional state, physical state, spiritual state, and I just pray that you would just surround them with your love and your comfort, your understanding and your peace, Lord. Let there be peace in each house, Lord, that's represented, Lord. I just pray for your presence, Lord. And I pray, and I thank you so much for courage, the people that stood up, or even if you didn't, I just pray that you would meet each person at their seat, Lord. 
that they would take the first step, Lord, just to surrender everything to you, Lord. And that we would call out your name when we when we when we when we're in need, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name, Amen. So if you are um, feeling led to pray for any individual up here.